Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm looking forward to the next couple of months and getting back into the swing of things with this podcast. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for all of the support that you've given my podcast over the years. It's hard to believe that I started this in February of 2015. Uh, It's been a great journey and I look forward to uh, getting more information to you guys. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com and remind you guys that the Black Friday sale actually is starting early on November 12th. There's tons of great gear that's 60% off at the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Also, remember with this Black Friday sale, when you sign up for Insider, you're going to get $100 off to spend at the Go Hunt gear shop. That's just when you sign up for Insider. If you want the Explorer, you get $50 to spend in the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com. Use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, Guys, I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. I want to thank you guys for supporting GoHunt. They've been a a loyal supporter of mine from the beginning, so go check them out. I also want to thank Kuyu.com. Kuyu is the ultralight hunting gear that I've been wearing since 2010. Uh, Great ultralight hunting gear. Uh, They've got three camo patterns from the Velo to the Verde to the Vias. Uh, they've got packs. They've got all sorts of great lightweight gear. Go to Kuyu.com to order. It's a direct-to-consumer website. You can go to Kuyu.com to order the gear there. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott23 promo code for a 10% discount. Phonescope is the digiscoping device that I use on my iPhone uh, to capture some of the videos and photos that you see on my Instagram account. And then I'd also like to thank Lathrop and Sons and remind you that they're doing a mountain hunt boot giveaway and a custom synergy footbed giveaway all you have to do to enter is go to lathropandsons.com click on the link there to enter into the giveaway and you can be entered into that drawing give james and Stephen a call if you want to discuss and talk to them about their three boots they basically have the encompass the mountain hunter and the elite boot plus their custom synergy footbeds i've been wearing them uh, now for over a year and just absolutely love their boots you there's two ways to get hold of them boots at lathropandsons.com or you can call them directly call james call Stephen directly they're two brothers 618-544 8782. Guys, let's get right to these episodes. If you'd like to send me a message, you can go to my Instagram account, which is at jscottoutdoors. You can send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. God bless and thanks for your support. I want to dive into late elk hunting. Um, And first, before we kind of get in there, talk a little bit about the units that you hunt both in Arizona and in New Mexico for late elk hunts to kind of lay a groundwork of the experience level that you have hunting those bulls in the late season. Um, Talk a little bit about, you know, the country, the terrain, the topography uh, of those units that you have experience in. Yeah, so Arizona and New Mexico, the late hunts, they they will vary in in terrain by quite a bit. Um, A lot of the units that we will hunt in New Mexico will consist of 
the cedar and pinon and juniper, you know, with uh, sandstone and rim rock rims. But Arizona, you know, you you'll be up in the high high timber, the big canyons, and the in the burn, and it it can be a completely different scenario as far as terrain. But basically, you're going to hunt them the same way. You're going to dig them up with the glass in the late season. Uh, do you get any sort of migration? I get this question a lot for like 1 in 27. If we get these snows and, and such, uh, do you get any migration at all with these, with these bulls? You know, we, we used to get it quite a bit, Jay, but after the fire hit in 2011, um, there's so much feed on top of the mountain that there are very few elk that will migrate with just a little bit of snow. It's really got to accumulate to a lot of snow to really drive them off. When you go into these late elk hunts, um, and you know, you guys have a, a slew of hunters, um, what is your overall mindset or strategy as far as, you know, how are you going to pick the areas that you're going to hunt for these bulls? What are you looking for? We base that solely on pre-scouting. So, um, you know, some years we may hit one area really hard, and then the next year it may not be an area that we're going to concentrate on at all. So just mainly just hit it hard before the season and, and base our decisions on our preseason scouting. And, and when you're scouting, like, are you looking for places, you know, knobs and rims and, and bandages where you can see lots of country, or are you taking the opposite approach and kind of going micro and, and just looking at small canyons and, and you know, working it on foot? How, how, what's your main strategy? Man, well, to be honest, Jay, we'll do a lot of both of that. Um, a lot of areas, you know, we'll set up high where you can just basically glass all day and just catch, you know, bulls moving around and stuff coming and going. And a lot of other areas that we'll look at, they will also be areas that, you know, you can look at for a little bit, but then you're going to have to move down the ridge and keep looking into pocket after pocket after pocket. And, you know, both types of areas have proven to be really good for us. Is there any one particular thing that you would say for those listening that have late elk hunts that, you know, if you can, if you can find this or if you can do this or, you know, some sort of, you know, something that's worked for you where, you, you know, you say typically the bulls are going to be here or there or this is what I'm looking for. Is there anything that stands out from your perspective? Big rough country and north facing slopes is is my main key right there. That's what I will key in on at first. Why the big rough country? Explain that to people. That's that's where we tend to find the bulls at this time of year. I mean, if if you're in the more mild country, generally you're going to be looking at cows and raghorns. But if you get into that rougher country, you're going to see a big jump in the age class of the bulls and the size of the bulls and generally the number of bulls. I mean, I'll go an entire late season and not see a cow. So but if guys are out there scouting right now uh, and or if they're on their hunt and all they're seeing is cows and calves and, 
and, and small raghorn bulls, they're probably looking in the wrong area, right? Definitely, yeah. They need to move to some rougher country, in, in my opinion. And when you say rougher country, um, are you looking for as rough as you can possibly find? I mean, bouldery, rocky, you know, craggly, steep, you know, what exactly? Is there one thing you're looking for or just as nasty as it gets? No, it doesn't have to be extremely nasty or anything, but, um, you know, generally you, you could be looking at herds of cows and, and a mile away there could be a good pocket of bulls, but generally those cows are going to be in the more mild country, you know, the flatter timber with some meadows here and there, but the bulls are going to be up on the big faces and canyon country, and that, that's what I tend to look for. Do you normally, when you find a pocket, do you find a pocket of, you know, four, five, six, eight bulls? Or is, are some of the big mature bulls just solo bulls? You'll find a lot of both. I mean, a lot of areas that we'll look at are places where, you know, you might see a solo bull one ridge over and a couple ridges up canyon or down canyon. From there, you might see a group of four or five, but... Generally, to me, it seems like, you know, the older bulls are around the other bulls, but they kind of like to drift off to the side a little bit. And then you talk about north-facing slopes, and I've been trying to, you know, try and educate and inform people on my Instagram as well, talking about, you know, glassing into those north and northeast-facing slopes. Explain to the people that are listening from your perspective why north-facing slopes are what you look for. You know, the, the elk just seem to get pulled to those slopes like, like a magnet. It's just something we always find them on it, and I don't know. You know, you think in the summertime, you know, it's a lot cooler and everything, but you will see them laying in the north slope in a foot of snow, and... You know, sometimes it doesn't make much sense because you think they got to be freezing, but that's where you'll find them most of the time. Yeah, I get a lot of questions. I mean, a couple a week where people are saying, well, with colder temperatures, they're going to be more on the south-facing slopes, aren't they? And I always respond, elk don't feel cold like you and I feel cold. And, and until, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time in Colorado and, you know, some pretty harsh conditions where, I'll see those elk, they'll be feeding kind of up at, you know, maybe out on a little open patch, and then it's, you know, colder than it can be. It's, it's, it's cold and wind blowing and snowing sideways, and they'll just creep right over to a north-facing slope and go bed down, just like you said, lay down right in the snow, and they're happy as a clam. So people need to understand that, you know, what we feel as humans as, you know, cold temperatures, elk, you know, God made them in a way that they, they don't feel cold like you and I feel cold. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. You know, they don't they don't feel it like we do for sure. I mean, I, I will find, you know, where if a north-facing slope is getting blasted in the wind, then I will find them move out of that north-facing slope. But that that's about the only thing I've seen that'll kind of drive them out of a north-facing slope as if they're getting the wind out of the north and they're just getting blasted. Up until this storm that we're having right now, 
Um, would you say that your late elk scouting would be focused in areas where there's where there's lots of water? Um, and and now that we've gotten you know you're getting five inches of snow on the ground, would you say that that's pretty much gone now, and and you don't have to they won't be as keyed in on water? Yeah, definitely. I mean, on this late archery hunt we just got off of, the bulls were were all pretty much right near some some water source you know rather it be in a creek or a stream or or tanks whatever they were they were around it pretty close but i this they could drift off now and i mean now i mean they can drift miles and so it it opens up the country as far as it's going to spread them out don't you agree yes definitely okay um as far as equipment and gear is there anything that really changes between you know the rut season and the late season as far as your glassing your equipment you know that you're using or are you using all the same stuff and if so kind of what are you using no i i use all the same equipment throughout the year you know i'll i'll run a set of 10s 15s and and a btx and that's that's generally with me on the bow hunts all the way through the end of the year and the only thing that will really change from season to season is my boots and my clothing talk a little bit about how your clothing changes you know i always tell guys when they come out you know don't don't overdress all whether it's in the bow season the late season you know a guy wants to dress in layers um Definitely in the later season, you're going to want to be in some warmer layers. But, you know, if you leave the truck in a huge parka and everything and you got a two-mile hike, you're going to be drenched when you get there. So I, I tell guys all the time, you know, dress in layer, layers where you, when you're hiking, you can shed a bunch of clothes, and as soon as you stop, you can throw them back on. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And then as far as boots, are you just wearing uh, boots with a lot more insulation in them? Yeah, uh, on these later hunts, not not a ton more insulation, but I I will run a lightly insulated boot, uh, maybe a heavier sock, but also about a two-inch taller boot as well. And then gaiters? Depending on the snow, gaiters will either... One of those things I might wear them one day, might not the next, but generally in the snow, yeah, I'm going to throw my gaiters on. Okay, and then have you found anything when you're up glassing um, to do to keeping your feet warm? I mean, do you get, you're up on big knobs. Do you ever start fires if you get cold and, and warm up, or what do you do? Man, I, I hate to do it, but sometimes we will. Um, generally, I don't like to start a prior anywhere near where I'm glassing but sometimes it's just so brutal cold it's either you got to warm up or you're not going to be able to sit it out the whole day you know so that's something we will do other than that you just got to get up and move around a little bit and keep some of that blood flowing as far as pressure that the elk feel late season um, do you feel that they're more susceptible to being very keen and aware of what's going on compared to the early season when they're rutting and bugling. Talk a little bit about that, how how they change their behavior. 
Yeah, their behavior will definitely change. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we just got off that late archery hunt, and it was a grind. I mean, trying to sneak up on them this time of year with a bow is a lot harder than, you know, in the rut when their mind is drifting elsewhere. But um, with the rifle, you know, it, it doesn't really seem to change much because you're, you know, generally shooting them across the canyon or, you know, shooting them 400 yards away. So they don't seem to be super aware of any of that, obviously. But um, if you're trying to get in close, they're dang sure a lot harder to get up on this time of year than they are, say, during the rut. Is there a certain distance, you know, on these late elk hunts? Is there a certain, like, buffer zone that you prefer to, you know, stay and don't don't get any closer than a certain distance? Do you, is there a rule that you kind of live by, or you just is each situation different? You know, each situation is different depending on the terrain, but generally, I mean, if I don't have to break about 300 yards on an animal, I won't. I mean, a 300-yard shot is extremely doable. I mean, anybody who's coming out elk hunting should be prepared for that that shot. I mean, nowadays with the technology, it's it's a chip shot. And if you don't have to break it, why, why risk it, you know? Darn, I have said for a long, long time, with coos deer specifically, if, if, you know, we never like to get inside of 300 yards of a deer that we want to kill. And we found that that 300-yard mark is a pretty good barrier where any of the little sounds that you guys make when you're trying, you know, trying to set up and get ready for the shot, you know, or maybe a tripod leg clanking against the rock. I mean, you know, that three to four hundred yards is is a good rule of thumb, I think, and totally agree with you that, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of space to communicate with the shooter and, you know, whisper and and do all of that. But you know, you can kind of get away with quite a bit at you know 300 plus yards. It's it's just always amazing to me how when you get inside of that 300 yards, you know, get in there, you know, 175, 200 yards. How it's amazing how they those animals can hear, they can pick you off, and um, you know, I think that's a good tip for people out there. If, if you're confident with your shooting, you know, give them a little buffer and and. Don't, there's no need to get any closer than 300 yards with rifles these days. Um, you know, you, you should be able to make that shot uh, every day. Um, so that's that's just a tip out there. Um, what kind of conditions would you say would be optimal for, you know, obviously you, no one can control the weather, but if you just said this is what would be perfect, what would it be? Would it be tons of snow and weather, you know, lots of weather, or would it be bluebird and cold, or what What would be perfect? You know, I, I like a little bit of weather, but generally that time of year when, with the weather comes the fog, and a lot of times you'll get fogged in for a day or two, and, you know, obviously that's going to put a big damper on the glassing, and pretty much you're at a standstill till it breaks, but a little bit of weather throughout the hunt is always a, a good thing. Yeah. Talking about fog, I mean, it, it's something that all, you know, hunters have to deal with. But when you get a big fog bank, I mean, there's virtually nothing you can do. Um, 
do you, do you change your tactics or do you just all of a sudden say, you know, we've just got to accept what we've got and wait till it breaks and be ready when it breaks? Or do you actually get out on foot and try and kick stuff up? It just doesn't seem very effective to me. No, that's, that very, very rarely will kicking them up work like that. Um, a lot of times that's when we'll try to concentrate on those smaller pockets where maybe you might get a little bit of visibility at short range. You know, we might check a few of those smaller pockets. And other than that, you know, you just got to basically wait it out. You want to be where you need to be when it breaks. So we'll pay close attention to the weather radar and see about what time it's going to lift. Gotcha. Right on. Um, do you have any tips for elk hunters, late elk hunters, um, you know, with this season coming up that are listening? Do you have any tips that you can think of that would help them? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of times we get guys that come out and depending on the terrain that we're in, on any given scenario, it's, it's amazing how many guys don't know how to get set up behind their rifle, you know. So guys need to know how to get set up. Um, you know, they need to get up set up solid and need to get up set, get set up fairly fast. You know, whether they're laid out prone, they're sitting, they're standing. I mean, you never know if you're going to be on flat ground, a side slope, you know, you just got to be prepared to get set up in any type of situation. And I think that's a great tip. One of the things I might add to that is um, even when you're out in the field and let's say you're out there and, you know, you've been glassing and, you know, it doesn't hurt to say, okay, across the canyon there's a big, you know, a big white boulder and just literally go through the fire drill of that's a bull and I need to shoot that bull. And, you know, the person you're with is probably going to think you're crazy, but just say, I'm going to set up and act like that rock is a bull that I need to shoot. And, I mean, get your pack, get it, you know, if you have to, you know, prop the pack up with some rocks underneath it, I mean, go through the drill of actually setting up and trying to shoot that white boulder as if it's a, a bull. And you'd be surprised if you do that every day, you know, the hunts are, you know, usually a week long. If you do that for two or three, four days, you know, do it in a morning setup, do it in the evening when you're glassing and just go through that exercise that when the actual time comes and you've got to shoot a bull and you've just been rehearsing it, it's amazing how much more comfortable and how much more calm you become because you've done it before. Um, and I think, I think even experienced guys can, you know, practice that a little bit and just kind of get in the routine of how your pack lays out, um, you know, how your gun lays on your pack, you know, how your body reacts to laying down and, you know, getting in shooting position. All things that we, you know, you think are elementary, but really, it, you know, if you can be real comfortable and good at that, Justin, I think that's a great tip that you bring. Yeah, def definitely setting up and practicing like that, Jay. That's something I will do personally on my own hunts all the time. You know, if you see a animal that you're going to pass on, whatever, you know, a lot of times I'll get it, get set up, put them in the scope, and just see, see what it looks like. You know, get on it, maybe dry fire on it a couple times. It's it's 
great practice. Yeah. Good. Any other tips you got? You know, only take shots that you're confident in. You know, guys all the time will just send them down range, you know. And if you're not confident in the shot, odds are you shouldn't be taking it. So yeah. guys need to take shots that they're fully confident in. Yeah, and something I might add to that as well is, um, you know, have your guide, have your spotter, have your friend next to you and calling the shots. And your job as a shooter is to, you know, make your shot, but, you know, load your weapon again and be ready for the follow-up shot. You know, acquire the target, get right back on the animal, look through the scope, um, and, and try not to get excited and everybody jumping up and down saying you got them. You need to focus on your job of making sure the animal's down. So I, I typically like to get right up next to my client with my binos on a tripod and talk them through it and I tell them, okay, now when you make this shot, I want you to get back in the scope, acquire the target, whether he's down or standing or what he's doing, until I tell you, okay, he's 100% dead. That way, I've seen so many times where a guy makes a shot and everybody's hooping and hollering and, you know, the elk isn't hit good or the deer isn't hit good and, you know, they're out of, they're not in the gun and they could have prevented an elk or deer getting away or, you know, at least getting another good shot in them. So that's something I'm always really, really um, kind of anal about and, and really focus on trying to get the hunter to focus on you know, you may have to make three or four great shots. I mean, how many times, Justin, have you seen an elk just hit perfect and they just stand there? And oh, wow. you, I mean, you need to you need to just keep shooting at that bull and and getting as many bullets into that bull as you can as quickly as and, and effectively as possible. Yeah. Um, sometimes one bullet doesn't do it. You know, sometimes I've seen elk I, literally where you they're just standing there and they get shot four or five times and they're still standing there stiff-legged. And, you know, your job as a hunter and a shooter is just to keep filling them up. Yep, and, and you know, you mentioned follow-up shots, Jay. One thing I, I like to tell guys a lot is, you know, when, before you make that shot, you need to pick up some good reference points as to where he's at, you know, with... With you, for yourself and for whoever else is with you because, you know, if you're looking at a big hillside and, and you hit him or miss him and, you know, you need to say, you know, if he runs 100 yards over to the right, you need to have a reference point that direction, you know, above him, below him, whatever, to where you can say, okay, hey, find the, the big boulder with the snow patch on top or, you know, something like that. And then, you know, guide them in from there. But if you have something like that, you're going to be able to get a follow-up shot a lot quicker than if you don't. Yeah, I think that's super good advice. Um, and playing off of that as well, I think it makes me think of after you shoot an animal and it's down, it's always good to take a picture with your phone of that hillside with your finger pointing at some reference over there. Um, because it always seems when you get over to try and, you know, get your animal that the hill looks completely different. And what I also like to do is I always like to leave a spotter or someone back at the shooting position at, until you get over to the animal because I've seen it so many times where guys, 
you know, and even I have gotten over there and I can't find, it just looks different and it doesn't make sense. And if you leave a spotter um, who can either direct you with hand signals or radio or even yelling at you, um, it makes a huge difference, especially if you shoot something, you know, right before dark and the last thing you want to do is leave that thing overnight, uh, you know, and the coyotes get it or whatever. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, with um, you know, before you shoot, what we like to do exactly is, is establish a couple of common points. You know, a big dead snaggly tree on the left and a big rock bluff on the right, and the elk is between that. And if something goes awry, we're going to use the left tree that's a snaggly tree that's dead, and we're going to use on the right, we're going to use the big bluff. And are you, yep. are you on that? Yes. Okay, so if I tell you it's going... Uh, you know, to the left towards the snaggly tree, you'll know exactly where it's at. And it just makes it so much more efficient um, when it kind of stuff starts getting, you know, heated and sideways. It's, it's nice to kind of have some common points. Any other tips that you can think of, Justin? No, I mean, not, not really. I mean, just dress warm and, and dress in layers, you know. It's, it's yeah. great hunts can be brutal cold. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, great talking to you. Um, it's always great watching your success on your Instagram, um, Premium Hunts Instagram page. And um, you guys do a really good job. Uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and wish you the best of success coming up on the future late elk hunts. Uh, and uh, can't wait to see some of the bulls you guys knock down. And want to give you a chance to let people know how they can reach out to you, Justin. Yeah, they can find us either on the web at uh, premiumhunts.com or they can look us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Facebook. Uh, we're on both of those. Um, you know, all our contact information you can find on on our webpage. And anyway, anybody wants to get a hold of us, those three avenues are probably the best. Awesome, man. Great. Sounds good. Well, thanks for sharing with us. God bless, and we'll be chatting at you down the road here. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jay.